You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. If you want to just stretch your arms out while he gets ready, we'll just pray for him and let him loose. <laughs> Father, we lift up Ian to you, Lord, Lord. We thank you for his faithfulness, Lord, and his heart, Lord, Lord. We thank you that you've placed a message on his heart, Father, for us. We we pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts through the word, Lord, and we'll be able to put it into practice into our lives, Father, and um, continue to lead us through this in your name. Amen. Thanks, and uh, good morning, everybody, and welcome to our visitors. One of the reasons, as uh, you've obviously realised, that we're gathered here this morning is to celebrate John Howard's 80th birthday last Friday. (laughs) Sorry, I misread my notes. We're actually here to celebrate June's 80th birthday, which is today. Congratulations and happy birthday, June. And um, I'm not going to put you on the spot, June. I know you would be terrified of that, but... um, <laughs> but I do want to, and I'm sure everyone else here wants to honour you this morning. Um, it has been a busy week for major events and milestones. Um, not only have there been two 80th birthdays this week, um, Alex graduated this week. Congratulations, Alex. Um, on Wednesday, um, some of you would realise Margaret Fulton died, aged 94. Um, Margaret Fulton was one of the original celebrity chefs and uh, in 1998 she was declared an Australian living treasure. But you, Gene, are our living treasure. (laughs) While we're celebrating this milestone, I have a question to ask of you. What's with the modern obsession with youth? You don't have to watch very much free-to-air TV to see all the commercials for moisturising creams and facelifts and, and uh, wrinkle removers and all the rest of it. All of it's designed to make you look younger and uh, to push back the signs of ageing. There was an interview on TV recently, it was a very interesting interview for those of us who uh, like rock music from the 70s, an interview with the reformed Fleetwood Mac who are now touring with Neil Finn of Crowded House fame on guitar instead of Lindsay Buckingham. Now it's fair to say the members of Fleetwood Mac are no spring chickens. The youngest of the original members is in his 70s, or her 70s, I'm not sure which was the youngest now, but they're all in their 70s, and even Neil Finn is in his 60s, which uh, blew me away when I heard that, I had no idea. It's pretty obvious though, that some of them still want to look like spring chickens. There's one member in particular, I won't name this member, but has clearly had plenty of work done on the face and uh, looks relatively younger, still doesn't look that young, but relatively younger. But when you get down to about there on the neck, the contrast is very, very obvious. (laughs) And quite honestly, doesn't look that good. But when did it become a sin to grow old or to look old? When did society say you have to look young or be young to be relevant and to be taken seriously? Way, way back in 1970, Cat Stevens sang a song called Father and Son. I'm sure you've heard this song. 
no matter your age. It was a big hit around the world at the time. It hit number two in the charts here in Australia. And it's, a, it's an exchange between a father who wants to shield his son from the big, wide, nasty world and a son who wants to find his feet and go out there and experience it. But there's a line in the song where Cat Stevens sings, You're still young. That's your fault. There's so much you have to go through. Let's sing some karaoke. (laughs) There's plenty of advantages of being young. We all know that. But surprise, surprise, there's also some advantages with being old. But getting old is rarely presented as a desirable thing in our society, is it? It's true that life gets tougher as you get older. My knees don't work like I should. If I squat down, it's a struggle to stand back up again. My back is always one careless lift away from going out on me. There's a sign outside a business I saw the other day near my work that said, my favourite childhood memory is my back not hurting. (laughs) I can relate to that. My strength is disappearing. My eyesight's fading. I get sick more easily. It takes longer to get over it. I'm sure some of you are nodding your head in... uh, in agreement because you've experienced it. My friends are being diagnosed with life-threatening conditions and some of them are dying. And I'm much closer to the grave now than I am to my youth. In many respects, it's not fun getting old. But I also have an opportunity, as do you all, to use my remaining years positively productively and as a follower of Christ I have an opportunity to make sure my remaining years have a positive impact on the generations to come. I was going through our contact list just recently and realised that about two thirds of our members here are in their 20s and 30s. That's an unusual number I would think for a church but it says the future of this church and the future of Christianity is in good hands when we have a, such a good proportion of young people passionate to follow Christ. When I say that as a follower of Christ I have an opportunity, I don't mean that non-Christians can't do things for their kids or for, their, for society or charities. You can leave millions of dollars as an inheritance for your kids or give it away to charities in your will. But money has a nasty habit of disappearing when you're dead. Do you realise that? What you can leave for your kids and what you younger people can do with your lives is to leave a legacy that will last for eternity. So you younger people, you're still young. That's your fault. There's so much you have to go through. There's a certain wisdom and experience and maturity and peace that should come with age. And it should result from going through those tough times, those struggles, those battles, the confusing times as you get older. God willing, you'll all go through it too. You won't enjoy a lot of it, but you'll go through it because it's part of God's plan. And we older. We older folk have the privilege of being able to pass on some of our experience and hopefully some of our wisdom to you younger people. 
Sadly, not everyone reaches June's age with wisdom, peace, contentment, joy, a sense of humour that June's got. Not everyone reaches that age with those qualities. As anyone who's worked in aged care will tell you, some people in their 70s, 80s and 90s are just plain nasty. They're angry, they're aggressive, they're full of complaints, they're abusive, they're unappreciative, they're violent. What's led them to become such unlovely and unlovable people? And how do we prevent ourselves becoming like that? How do you get to June's age and still be universally loved and appreciated? Wouldn't it be a nice thought to know that when you hit 80, that you're loved by everyone who knows you? The first thing you have to do is to examine yourself now. What sort of person are you today? How have you changed in the last five years? Are you becoming more content, more peaceful, more accepting of others, less judgmental? Are you becoming a person of deeper faith now? Or are you becoming grumpier, more frustrated, more negative, more critical of others? The direction you are heading today will determine your destination 20 years, 30 years, 50 years in the future. You will, be, be, you will be then what you are becoming now. That's a frightening thought. It should be enough for all of us to sit down and take stock of ourselves. If you aren't developing your walk with God now, you won't have one when you're 80. There may be some lessons we can learn about this from Psalm 71. We're not going to get through everything I had planned this morning. But many scholars believe Psalm 71 was written by King David near the end of his life. It tells the story of an old man who is being hunted by someone who wants to kill him. David, as we know, had a pretty tough life. He was the apple of God's eye, it says in Psalm 17, but he was also a man of war. He had to fight wars his whole life. Some were wars with enemies from the nations around him. Some were wars with his own sons. You could certainly understand if someone had to fight for his survival all his life, if someone had been betrayed and hurt and hunted by his own children, he might become a bitter, angry, resentful person in his old age. But instead, in Psalm 71, we see David, or whoever it was that wrote it, as of a man of faith and trust. We see a man even of contentment and peace. How did he get that way? So we read through it. There's, there's three things, I think, we can see in this psalm that give us some clues about how the psalmist became that way in his old age. Firstly, he knew his God. Secondly, he had learned how to trust his God, to praise his God, and to put his hope in God. And he didn't retire from his calling. 
So as we read through it, I want you to be on the lookout for those things. So starting in verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent, a bad omen to many. But you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to my old age and grey hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteousness, righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. What does it take to live through a life marked by battles and opposition and still at the end declare, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. This psalm teaches us that firstly, (coughs) excuse me, firstly we need to know our God. That's not just an intellectual knowledge, as if reading about him will give us all the information we need. This is a knowledge that's born out of experience, particularly the experience of God's faithfulness through tough times. As I reflect on my own life, I can see God's hand 
in it from before my days as a Christian, from my childhood when I was not a Christian, when I was still a rebel. I can look back and see God's protection, his guidance, his involvement in my life, his involvement in my circumstances. The family I was born into, the experiences I had, both good and bad, all revealed to me the faithfulness of God. Of course, I had no real sense of it back in those days, but with 2020 hindsight, lots of things become clearer. Probably the most important lesson that I've learnt from my 60-odd years is that God is faithful. It's not just when I have my life on track and things are going well, but through all the years of doubt, of struggle, of near bankruptcy, of a failed marriage, of loved ones dying around me, all those years of my rebellious heart, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And especially through those years of rebellion, God has been faithful. He has proven himself to me countless times. In the tough times when I tend to lean on my own strength and ignore him, in the good times when things are going so well that I forget about him. He has not abandoned me. He will not abandon you. June, the Lord hasn't abandoned you these 80 years and he will not abandon you in your later years either. It's what the psalmist found. For you, O Lord, it says in verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. These are the words of a man who knows the faithfulness of God and has put his trust and his confidence in that God. This, of course, raises the question of how we can put our confidence in God when everything seems to be going wrong, when we're suffering debilitating disease with no cure in sight, when we're overwhelmed by despair. Where is God in all this? How can I believe that God is good when nothing good seems to happen to me? One thing I've learnt, as did our psalmist long before me, is that the events of my life are precisely the events and situations that God has ordained for my good. That doesn't mean that they're fun to go through. You all know that. But just like going to the gym to build up your strength or just like eating that tasteless but healthy food, they're designed to do us good. They're designed to improve our health spiritually. They're designed to make us complete. 
I've told you before of the time when our son John almost died at six weeks old. It was one of the most painful times of our lives. Mel and I have never gone through anything probably that painful before. I hope we never have to again. We probably will at some stage. though. That's the reality of life. But that harrowing experience was also one of those that shaped our lives and our faith and our trust in God more so than the good times ever did. The Lord used a situation where we had given up hope and where the doctors were at their wits end and didn't know what to do to bless us, to give us back our son, to draw us closer to himself. Those of you who know John will be glad that God gave him back to us. Remember, Romans 8.28, you hear me harp on about this verse so many times, you're probably sick of hearing it. But it's one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible for me. Someone asked me not long ago, what, what's your go-to verse, your key to key verse? And it would have to be Romans 8.28. Our experience with John nearly dying and our experience of a lot of other bad things that we've gone through in the years since have proved to me the truth of this verse. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All things, Paul says there, all things, not just the good things, not just the fun times, not not just the times when you feel like God's blessing you, all things work together. They don't work in isolation from each other. They're not just accidents that happen. They're designed to work together for your good and for my good if you put your trust in Christ. There's a warning there, of course. It's only those who have put their trust in Christ who can be confident that God will use all things together for their good. It's not a promise for anyone outside of Christ. But if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll find that everything that you go through, good and bad, including everything that's happened to you in the past before you became a Christian, will become will be to your benefit. In a strange way, all the good things and all the bad things are evidence that God is for us. We need to learn to trust God to praise him, to put our hope in him. Romans 8.28 is the anchor for me of that. I've learnt that I can trust God in all things. Usually we're controlled by our emotions, knee-jerk reactions to what goes on in our lives and around us, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can cultivate habits that will shape our responses and even our responses to the most disturbing or distressing news. Ask yourself, 
Have you developed habits of complaining, of worrying, of criticising? Is that how you automatically respond to challenges? You can change that. You can develop a habitual response of praise, joy, confidence and rest. But it takes a conscious decision. It takes hard work. It takes prayer and it takes dependence on the Lord to get there. James, in his letter, makes the odd statement, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's not natural to rejoice when things go bad, is it? It's not natural to find joy when you're overwhelmed by problems. But when we know our God, we can also have confidence that God is using those trials to mature us and making sure that we lack nothing. Then we have a basis for rejoicing. But the choice of how we respond is ours. I might have to start to wind it up up here so we can uh, begin the party. But uh, you can go home, read Psalm 71 for yourself. See if you can identify the verses that show how David or the psalmist trusted God, praised God and put his hope in him. But before I finish up, there's one other thing I want to add. We don't retire from the Christian life just because we get old. The psalmist didn't. Being old had just given him more opportunity to tell the younger generation about God. And he wanted to continue to tell young people about the Lord. It says in verse 17, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and grey hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. The Bible doesn't give us a retirement plan. Have you ever noticed that? The only instance I can think of of someone retiring is a parable that Jesus told of the rich man who was storing up all his grain in a barn so he could kick back and have fun. And Jesus' response to him was, You fool. You fool. That's the retirement plan for Christians. Abraham was in his 70s when he packed up everything and followed God. Moses was 80 when he began his ministry. 80, June? You could be just starting. (laughs) The great theologian Augustine of Hippo did his best work after the age of 50. It's never too late to set yourself to follow God, and it's never too early to set yourself to follow God. I have uh, sometimes thought back about the years I've wasted. Mentioned before, Paul's almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. And I look back and think, I've had 30-odd years. If I was reading the Bible every day, like Paul does, I would have encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. And I've missed an opportunity. I have the opportunity to continue from here, and hopefully I'll have 
decades still to do it. But you young people, don't miss that opportunity to do things now that you will struggle to catch up on later. This isn't primarily all about getting old or being old. It's about what we can do and what you young people present today can do and what you and I can do to ensure when we reach our old age, others respect us, honour us, love us still. But more importantly, it's about what we can do to serve Christ into our old age. The goal is not just that people honour us in our old age, which is a good thing. The goal is that our lives will pass on something of eternal substance to those coming after us. And by this bring honour and glory to God in our old age. The goal is that we leave a legacy of the knowledge of Jesus Christ among our young people. I've got nearly 20 years before I get to your age, June. But I hope and pray that in 20 years' time, I'll still have the vitality, the health, the joy and the humour and the peace that you have today. I hope and pray that in 10 years' time and in 20 years' time, we will still be able to welcome you here to celebrate those next milestones. That would be a great delight. I hope I'm able to preach to you for 10 or 20 years more too. (laughs) The Apostle Paul said just before his execution in 2 Timothy 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's a promise for every one of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. On the day he appears he will have a crown of righteousness for you. Bible talks about several other crowns and rewards as well. But I can assure you it will more than make up for the struggles of this life. There's a reward waiting for us one day if we put our trust in Christ. If you haven't put your trust in Christ, there's no time like the present, is there? You may not make it to June's age. You may not have 20 years, 50 years up your sleeve to get these things sorted out. Why not do it today? Why not do it now? Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, that our lives are not wasted when we put our trust and our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can become even more productive in our later years than in our early years. Thank you that we can know you the faithful one, the reliable one, the trustworthy one. I pray, Lord, for my friends here that we would all recognise the great privilege we have to turn to you in faith, in hope and with our praise. And I thank you, Father, that you invite us to know you through your word, the Bible, 
through your Son who represented you perfectly and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.